Not so much. Huh? People are sleeping in. That's okay. Um, it, it happens. It's kind of every year around this time. It's happened. Um, I wanted to give you a brief update on our Spanish church. Many of you asked what's happening with our Spanish church, what's going on. As many of you know, um, Pastor Ronaldo had to step out of ministry for some time, and, um, and we are working on him coming back into ministry. Um, in the next couple months, and we've talked about that extensively here. We've been very open with that. If you have any questions, if you're newer and you want to know what happened, you can talk to me. I'd be happy to talk to you about it, or any one of our board members would be happy to talk about it. Um, but they've been meeting with us uh, almost every single week. We've been doing live translation, and I talk kind of fast, and um, we, even though we give them the notes, it doesn't necessarily always translate easily. You have to imagine what it's like not having English as your primary language, trying to listen to a translation of a sermon. There's a lot of things that get lost in translation. For example, the movie Frozen, the song Let It Go, I forget what language, but when they translated it to a certain language, it was let it go, like your bowel movements. And so, and so exactly, so they're singing this in the theaters, and naturally it started to smell, and saying let it go. But, um, but so you got to be very careful with translations and, and what they all mean. And so one of the things that we devised and came up with, and although they love us and we're all one congregation, um, what we've decided to do is until such a time in which Ronaldo can be restored uh, back to his previous position, um, one of their board members is teaching my sermons. And uh, so I was with them last week, and I just said, well, before the service started, and I was with them, and I said, listen, um, you know, essentially, he's going to be preaching my sermons, so if you hate them, it's my fault. Sorry. Uh, so, essentially, they're going to be, again, building a Spanish-speaking congregation and, again, working towards that goal of building Spanish-speaking uh, congregation. They'll be using my sermons. They'll be praising in Spanish, and they'll be continually doing that. Um, and so it'll, it's a great thing, I think, for our Spanish congregation here. And so they've started that this morning. And they are um, in the fellowship hall. So excited for them. So for us, we are back in our series, um, the Community Bible Experience. What we're doing is we are reading through as an entire church. And if, if you're like, oh, man, I didn't get the memo on this, that's okay. Don't feel any pressure. Um, we've got more of these available. It's, it's the entire New Testament broken up essentially into one easily readable format where in 40 days you can read the entire thing. And we're doing this, and we have small groups where we're discussing it. And all the way from, um, from a few weeks ago till Easter is when we're going to be reading. And we expect that uh, most people in our church that are doing this are going to be able to finish. And if not, just keep reading and, and try and finish. And if you're like, man, that sounds awesome, that's what I need to do, don't feel any huge pressure to, to go back and catch up. Start reading from right now. There's a bookmark in there that will tell you, you know, where to go. Um, start reading from right now. And then catch up afterwards. After Easter, go back and read the rest of the stuff. Don't, don't put that huge burden on yourself. But it is a great way to read the Bible. So consequently, I'm preaching through the entire New Testament in eight weeks. No easy task. It's, uh, there's quite a bit. And there's so much in here. This is why you want to be in a group. Because there's so much I'm just glossing over. And so much I'm just not even hitting. Because there's so much good stuff in here. But in the course of about 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, I just cannot hit it all. And so we're going to get into that uh, today. So I think one of the challenges of the Christian life is to actually believe that God still speaks to us today. 
and that we could actually still hear from God. I think that's one of the challenges of the Christian life. Without that, we're deists, right? We're, we believe that Jesus died and stayed that way. Because if Jesus actually raised from the dead, then he lives and he gets to speak into life today. Right where you're at, right where I'm at, wherever you are at work, wherever you are with family, wherever you are um, in your life situation, God gets to speak into your life wherever you're at. That's what we believe, that God actually still speaks today and that he, he, he leads us to things. But one of the very great dangers is this phrase, God told me that I ought to do this, or God told me this is something you ought to do. That's a little bit of a dangerous phrase, isn't it? That's like getting into some dangerous territory. Here's the reason why. That phrase has the same exact effect as pulling the carpet out from somebody's feet and having them fall over. It sort of short-circuits their ability to process what you're saying because they're taking all authority and saying, God told me this about you, or God told me this. And which, here's the deal. I do believe that God speaks to us that way. I, I, I absolutely do God, I believe that God speaks to us. But one of the reasons why this scares us is because of past abuse. And of, unfortunately, um, televangelists are notorious for this. God told me that this is what was going to happen, and so you need to send in $10,000. You know, if I was that kind of pastor, we would have, like, gold pillars in the church, you know? We'd be, like, super rich. But that, that's not at all. We believe God leads all of us. God speaks to all of us and through all of us. And so to say God told me or God said to me, although could be accurate, when we say that in the midst of conversation, it sort of short circuits the reasoning, doesn't it? It's like, oh, man, well, this person said God told him that, that I ought to be doing this, so I guess I've got to do it. Well, did God tell you that? That's the question I have for you. I had somebody, um, uh, when we were doing a service, a Sunday night service here called Ethos, and um, he had come for the very first time, and he said, hey, I want to know a little bit more about the church. Can I take you to coffee? And I love coffee. I love people buying me coffee. And so I said, absolutely. And so I sat down with him, and he told me, you know, God just real plainly told me that you are going to be one of the guys that's going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel and sit on the one of the seven seats of judgment from the book of Revelation. And I said, that's so funny because he didn't tell me that. Don't you think something so big he would have revealed to me? Maybe he just sent me a postcard at least. Maybe he would have sent me an email. Maybe he would have been like, hey, Dave. And he's like, well, he's telling you now through me. And I said, well, I think he would have confirmed that. You know, I think that's, and plus, I'm not even sure about your translation of the book of Revelation. But, you know, thank you for telling me that feeling obedient to God's calling there. And so we've got to be careful of that kind of stuff. So we are skeptical of when people say, God told me. But if he told you to tell somebody, then that person's going to be confirmed in their life somehow. There's going to be some sort of mutual understanding of God speaking. But the problem is there's spiritual abuse that happens in churches. There's spiritual abuse that happens um, in other small relationships, in, in anything. I mean, I guess no relationship small, but there's spiritual abuse that happens. And it oftentimes happens through the lens of God told me this about you, right? Some of us have been in that dynamic, and it's uncomfortable because you feel like I've got to submit to that. 
Because the Christian life is so much about submission as well. And so what do we do with all this stuff? So if last week we were in the book of Luke, and this week we're going to the book of Acts, but I really feel like there's an, a thread of the book of Luke that takes us right into understanding Acts. And so if you've got your Bibles or if you've got your community Bible experience Bible, we're going to be in um, Luke chapter 8, which is on page 20 of this one. It'll be up on the screen. Um, we're going to just hit through a couple verses real quick. And actually, it might be fast enough where you think, I don't know, I'm not even going to flip there. Um, Luke chapter 8, and this would be verse, I put it on my notes, verse 21, because there's no verses in this Bible. It's just chapter, or it's just straight text. So Jesus replied, uh, some people said, your mothers and brothers are here to see you. And Jesus replied, my mothers and brothers are the ones who hear God's word and put it into practice. Hear God's word and do it. So they hear and they do. And then again, in Luke chapter 11, which uh, is on page, it's on another page. It clearly is on another page. Um, page 28, um, people are talking to Jesus, and, and, and there's this woman in the crowd who called out, blessed is the mother who gave, you, who gave birth to you. And Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So the Christian life, I mean, and this is just two verses out of the book of Luke. And we haven't hit Matthew, Mark, or John yet, but Matthew, Mark, and John, this is all through there too. Jesus essentially says, my disciples are the ones who hear my word, who can hear from me and do what I say. So somewhere embedded into this reasoning, there's a way to hear from God right now, right where we're at. There's a way that we can actually hear from the God of the universe about what it is we ought to do, what decisions we ought to make, life choices. Somewhere, there is this idea that is actually possible to hear it. And then some people, we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year. There was people that say, the Sermon on the Mount is just this lofty set of laws that would be nice if people can follow, but they can't actually follow them. But, but Jesus actually says at the end of that, Blessed are those who hear these words and put them into practice. So he says, he acknowledges, it's actually possible to live this type of life. And so we've got to believe that it's actually possible to hear from God and do what he says. And so how do we do that? People don't just naturally hear from God. It's kind of a big deal, right? So Jesus tells this little parable about the culture and about... um, and about how we, we might think about this scenario. It's kind of this weird parable when you first read it. And probably when you read the book of Luke, if you're following along with us, you probably went, what in the world is Jesus talking about? here?" But Luke chapter 11, again, I think it's on page 28, uh, verses 24 through 26. Um, you know, I'm just going to read it off this. Cause when an impure spirit comes out of a person, this is Jesus talking. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself and goes to live inside there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. So here's what Jesus is saying. Now imagine a person, and inside this person's body is the house, and Jesus often talks about that he will come and make his home with you. 
And so he understands your body as his temple, your body as his dwelling place. Okay? And so Jesus essentially says, imagine that your body had some evil in it. Okay? And it's had some sin in it. And that sin left. And now you're all clean. And now you're good. And that evil is out there swarming around. And we have to understand, first century understanding of evil is that anything that happened that was bad was evil, an evil spirit. And so, and so all of a sudden, you know, it gets worse and, and, and seven, seven times worse because um, you're clean and you've replaced that with nothing. The idea and the dynamic is we submit to authority. It's like that old Bob Dylan song when he became a Christian. you got to serve somebody. You might remember it like this. you got to serve somebody. You know what I mean? I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, but I just can't resist making fun of the guy. Can't. I went to the concert. It's like you cannot understand a coherent word that the guy says anymore. I feel bad for him. Love his older stuff, but anyways, anyways, we have to replace the the old dynamic, the old tyranny. So when we submit to Christ, when we say yes to Jesus, God, please take this sin away from me. A lot of times that leaves us with an empty house, and we've got to submit to something new in our lives. And when we submit to that something new, then we can fill that house with good things and not allow the old junk to come back in. Last week we talked about identity, and a lot of times we go back to that same old identity and worth of, of feeling worthless. And we never have victory over sin because we continue to go back to that old junk. And we've got to continue to move forward. And so the idea is we need a new dynamic to replace the old tyranny. We need a new level of submission. Who are we going to submit to? It's not enough simply to escape from Satan. That we need a new rule under God. God needs to make his home in your heart. Wow, that sounded cliche, but it's true. I hate how sometimes Christian, Christianese sounds cliche, but it is true. Um, by the way, Jesus is teaching this 2,000 years before con- contemporary psychology caught up. Contemporary psychology will tell you this, that if you go in and see a psychologist and you have some sort of behavior that you want modified or changed, they would say, okay, take that behavior out and replace it with something good. Jesus, the great physician, talked about this 2,000 years ago. He does not get credit in the psychology books, unfortunately. But it is true that Jesus was the originator of this. So throughout the book of Luke, we get this sense of this. One, we could actually hear from God. And two, we could actually do what he says. We could hear from God and do what he says. And two, when we are freed from the power of sin, we've got to fill our lives with something new. When we're freed from the power of sin, we've got to fill our lives with something new. And then right when Jesus died and he rose again from the dead, he said this to his disciples. In Luke 24, he said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus came and he died and his blood washed away the sin of our life. So in the house, he said, you know, just give your junk to me. What, what I'm doing on the cross, I'm taking your punishment for you. And so that junk is gone. And now you're going to be clothed with power from on high. Even the idea of clothed tells you this idea is your body that God is building his house on. God is putting on this outer layer of power. So we get the sense that God is doing 
something miraculous. And then we jump right in to Acts chapter 1, and Jesus shows up, and his disciples are amazed. And Jesus is telling them, you know, stay here until my Holy Spirit comes. Stay here because you're going to see this, and it's going to be incredible. And then you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem until the ends of the earth. And you know what they asked him? You know what the disciples asked Jesus? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were still looking for a political victory. They were still looking for political favor. They still didn't get it. You died again. You rose. Now expel those evil Romans. But Jesus never does what humanity expects. So in the first chapter of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit mentioned three times. Jesus is saying, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming. That was five times. But he said it three times. And then throughout the book of Acts, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. So we see the church filled with the Holy Spirit. But what happened, what culminated was on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, if you got the Community Bible Experience Bible, it's page 56. Um, It's Acts chapter 2, and it's on the screen. Suddenly what happened is the disciples were waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And here's what happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd um, came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are, um, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them from their own language? And if you keep going on, they talk about all the different languages that were present that day. So how did the people respond? They were confused. They were like, wow, these people must be drunk or on drugs. I can't believe this. So before we get too deep into Pentecost, what was the Jewish day of Pentecost? What was that? Penta means right? And so this was really 50 days after the Passover. And so this was a feast. It was um, a feast where they bring two loaves, the feast of the harvest. It was one of the first feasts that they had. And it was the feast of the loaves. And it celebrated this, which is pretty amazing. Back in Exodus chapter 19, one of the most amazing things happened in the Jewish world. That is God gave the Jews the Ten Commandments on two tablets, and Moses walked down the mountain, and he presented the law, one of the most sacred moments, the most sacred time, because they directly heard from God, and now they could obey God's law because they knew what it was. They were celebrating that time, and they had set up a few years later something called the Feast of Loaves to commemorate this time. And what they would do is they would have two loaf offerings, two pieces of bread, one for the Jews to symbolize that God was the bread of life, that that God gave them bread in the desert, that God provided for them. And one for the Gentiles, to remember that God's word was also for those who were outside of their influence. God's word was for the nations. And so these two loaves of bread were incredibly symbolic. You have to imagine 
crowds of people there, every, every one of them coming with their offering of two loaves of bread, one being for the Jews, one being for the Gentiles. And what happens in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit comes, and the church gets scattered. And where do they go? They go to the Gentiles from Jerusalem, where it's filled with Jews, to Judea, to Samaria, which was a dirty place, a bad place, uh, an unclean place, to the ends of the earth. They go out to the Gentiles. And so they're carrying these two loaves of bread as a picture, as a symbolic reminder of what God is about to do in their midst, that he's about to send them out. And so this is what's happening on the day of Pentecost. They're celebrating God speaking and giving the Ten Commandments. Now the Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost is the birthplace of the church. Right here is where the church is born. Before, these were not, they never considered themselves Christians. Christian didn't come up to years later, the word Christian. These were all God-fearing Jews who believed that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, had come, and his name was Jesus. And now they're about to, their paradigm is about to be challenged. And way back in the time of the prophets, this time was prophesied. Way back in the time of Ezekiel, Ezekiel mentioned, by the way, this is what's going to happen. And he said this, Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So what Ezekiel is saying is, it is difficult to follow that Ten Commandments without my Holy Spirit in you, right? It's difficult to follow that. Being just purely obedient, and it becomes legalistic. We need that dynamic relationship with the Father that only the Holy Spirit can provide in our lives to guide us and bring us to the Father. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And so Ezekiel 36, um, what, what Ezekiel is saying is, there's going to come a day, and he was envisioning this. He, he was expecting this. There will be a day where God will just rip your old heart out and give you a brand new heart. He will put his spirit on his people. Quite a day. This was that day in Pentecost. This marked the beginning of a brand new day in history. This marked the beginning of the Christian um, church in the world. Where the people just wanted um, the Romans expelled. That's another interesting lesson about the book of Acts. Is, is In the beginning of the book of Acts, the, the church just says, Hey, can we just expel these wicked Romans? That's all we want. God does something incredibly better. He actually gives them a brand new heart, a brand new spirit. He actually places his presence in their lives so that they can expel the influence of sin in their lives. God gave something much better, the possibility of living with him. Even though the Romans were occupying their land, he gave them the ability to love their enemies. Even though the Romans were, were oppressing them, he gave them the ability to serve them and become friends with them. When you read the book of Acts, one of the incredible things that happens is that Paul is, is in chains in prison, and he is praying to God to be released. And what happens is it shakes and his chains fall off. There's a great earthquake, and the, the guard is about to fall on his sword. So that because he knows he'll be executed if his prisoners escape. And Paul tells everybody to stop. Don't go anywhere. And they minister to this guy and they help him 
come to an understanding of who Jesus is. And this guy begins, him and his whole household get baptized and begin to follow Jesus. It's an incredible story, an incredible reversal of values. In the first century world, if that would have happened to you and you would have been in prison, you would have shown the guy who's number one and you would have ran off there. And you would, he would have fallen on his sword, you would have been like, good. That's a good thing. This is an incredible reversal of values as the Holy Spirit comes in our lives. As we keep going with the story, Peter preached. Um, people wanted to know what was happening. And so Peter preached, and he gave the whole story of Judaism. And then you get back to Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and his apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I like to imagine that's how all you are after my sermons. We're cut to the heart. What should we do? I don't know. But anyways, I just love to imagine that. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the, the Lord our God will call. Verse 48, with many other words he warned them, and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So I love this. How should we respond to this kind of information? How do we respond to the Savior of the world coming? How do we respond when we see these apostles and disciples all of a sudden speaking in crazy languages? I mean, they were speaking the language of the world. People heard them in their own language, although they knew that they had no idea how to speak that language. It was absolutely incredible. So Peter simply says, repent, be baptized, which we can understand. And I think which the church has done. The church continues to repent and be baptized, right? And we do that over and over and over again. And, and to some certain extent, the church sometimes becomes about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Now, we, I love the Bible. There's no one who loves the Bible more than me. But that's not the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love the whole repent thing because that's tangible. We can do that. We love the whole baptism, baptism thing because that symbolizes a brand new life. And now be clothed with power from on high. Oh, sounds a little weird, Right? sounds a little strange. But simply what God is saying is, is, let me dwell with you. Let me be present in your life. Actually acknowledge that I'm here, that I'm, that I'm present with you. When you wake up in the morning, God, you are present. You're, you're with me right here, right now. And, and help me to live today. When you're talking with people, maybe a, a simple thing you could say is, Father, help me to bless this person right now. And just say what comes to your mind. You know, when you're in relationship with people, maybe with your, with your, with your spouse and, 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 you know, they're talking to you, a lot of times the voice of God sounds a lot like Desiree Johnson. I mean, no joke. I, we're talking and I'm like, wow, that was a bullet, you know. That hit me right here. Be aware that God wants to speak to you, and he wants to use his church to do that. He wants to use his word to do that. That's why one of the reasons we're reading the, the Bible in 40 days, or the New Testament in 40 days, 
is because I believe God really wants to speak to you just as much as he, he leads and guides me and, and speaks, speaks to me. I think God wants this intimate connection with each person, and so he's made a way by giving us his Holy Spirit. So God says, or Peter said, repent and be baptized, and then receive the Holy Spirit. God actually wants to dwell with us. I mean, think about this in the book of Acts. What do we see? A psychopathic, murdering Pharisee that turns into a Bible-thumping believer. You know, Paul. He gets thrown off his horse. He gets blinded for three days. He goes and lives out in the desert for three years and is discipled um, by Ananias and Sapphira. And, and, then, and then he actually changed the course of human history by starting the church in the Roman world. And this absolutely changed the course of human history. Paul is praying, and, and, and then he falls asleep. And in a dream, a Macedonian man comes up and says, you ought to come to Macedonia. Right? If any of you read that this week, were any of you like, what just happened there? I want to pray and have a tiny Macedonian man come up to me and be like, this is exactly what you need to do. You know? But the, but the Holy Spirit absolutely guides the church. Paul is preaching. I love this one. If you read the book of Acts this week, Paul is preaching, and he's upstairs, and a guy, he's preaching all day long. Instead of recorded that he preached all day, and there's a guy sitting in a window, and he fell asleep, and he fell out the window, and he died. And Paul went over there and prayed for him, and he rose again, and then Paul preached the next morning. And like, if any of you die in this service, we are going to pray for resurrection, then I'm going to preach to the next morning. You're going to have to stay awake. <laughs> if any of you fall asleep, it's going to happen. Actually, I consider that an incredible level of trust, fall asleep during one of my sermons, um, that you trust me that much with the Word of God. But um, the Holy Spirit is on the move in the book of Acts. Miraculous things happen because God is with his people. And I think we need to be the kind of people that simply say, God, I want you to be with me. God, I can't do this on my own. Lord, I, I've rejected that old authority that Satan had over my life, that sin, that junk, that stuff. And yet, sometimes I still feel empty even though I believe in you. Have any of you ever been there? That even though I believe in Jesus, I still feel alone. Even though I, I know that Jesus saved me, I, I don't feel a connection with God. I mean, I think we, we get there in our lives. And I think what we need to do is come under a new power and a new authority and simply say, Jesus, I actually want your Holy Spirit, your presence to live in my life. So maybe the question for you is, where are you in the life of this parable that Jesus taught? Do you have some sin and junk in your life? I mean, that's kind of the way I like to define sin, just messed up junk in your life that you know shouldn't be there. So if you do, then maybe you simply just need to say, God, I repent of this stuff. It, it's wrong. I ask you to take it away. Cleanse me with your blood from the cross. And, and, and would you come and live with me? Maybe you've done that work, and you've said, yes, Jesus, I, I, I've done that already, and, and I've cleansed that junk, and it's not there anymore, but I'm still kind of empty inside. I, maybe you've never said, Jesus, I, I want your Holy Spirit to dwell with me. I mean, it's as simple as that. 
There's nothing magical. There's nothing hocus pocus. Nothing weird about it. It's simply just saying, Jesus, I want you to dwell with me. I want to encourage you to do that today because this is where the church gets its power. And not power in the traditional worldly sense, but power to overcome evil structures in the world. I want to simply ask you, maybe you're here and you simply need to invite the Holy Spirit to live in your life. I want to simply invite you to do that. Because like I said, some of us get the whole repentance and baptism part of the Christian life, but we don't get the whole filled with the Holy Spirit part. And maybe it's time for that. Maybe you keep cleaning up the junk and it keeps coming back. You know, you clean it up, it comes back seven times. Then you clean it up and it comes back, it comes back 14 times. And then it's harder and then you clean it up again and then it's 38 times, 30, 40. All right, anyways, whatever 14 times, well, anyways, add seven, I don't know. This is why Joanne does all the numbers here. I just stick to preaching. It comes back worse and worse and worse. Maybe you've never, you've always said, yes, Jesus, I accept this, but I'm going to always be my own authority. Jesus wants to break that down in our lives. And he wants to say, you're not your own authority. I love you too much to let you be your own authority. Allow me to be your authority. Allow me to be the Holy Spirit in your life. Allow me to live with you. In two weeks, you'll get to, uh, or next week, you'll get to this verse. 1 Corinthians three sixteen through 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. He's talking plurally about the church. Us here together. We are God's dwelling place. He wants to dwell in you, 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 you. And he wants miraculous and incredible things to happen. In the book of John, we see him telling the disciples, you know what, you're going to do even greater things than I've ever done. And I think the church has done some So together as a church, we are called to do even greater things. So maybe you're in one of those places today. You kind of see your life in that parable. There's a couple different ways you can go. I simply want to just invite you to repent, which means change mind. Just say, God, I've been operating under a false pretense. I've been operating under, under the wrong path. I got messed up junk. Please take it away. And, and, and simply to be cleansed of that. Maybe you actually want to get baptized. And mark it off on your bulletin. There's a little thing there. Just mark it off. We'll baptize you next week. Um, mark that off. And then maybe you simply need to say, all right, God, I need you to dwell powerfully with me so that I can live in your power and so that I can actually overcome this sin that continues to come, this temptation that continues to come. I can overcome that, and I can live a brand new life. And maybe you're just a long-term Christian who has had that experience with the Holy Spirit, but ugh, you just, because I've been there with you. You've had that experience. You've, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's been those times in your life, but you're just kind of, ugh, right now. You know how I'm feeling? You don't even have to, I'm just groaning. You know what I'm feeling. Then I want to just have two suggestions. One, maybe your life is too safe. Maybe your life is just way too safe. Maybe God calls and leads you to do things, and you're like, yeah, that seems like it's hard. 
or God calls and leads you to do things, you're like, ah, that seems kind of dangerous. Or that's going to sting a little bit, or that might hurt some feelings. I don't know if I'm going to do that. Maybe your life is too safe. I think consistently in the book of Acts, we see that following Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not safe at all. It gets Paul shipwrecked, beaten, flogged, um, put on trial, in chains. It, it's, it's not safe. So if you want something safe, sorry, this morning wasn't for you. But maybe your life is either too safe or maybe it's too loud. I reminded the story of Elijah. He goes to hear from God, and, and he actually runs away. He goes up to this mountain, and, and, and he's sitting in this cave, and he's overlooking this valley, and he sees this giant fire come through, and it says that God wasn't in the fire. And then there was this earthquake, and, and God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there was this rushing, violent wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was this still, small whisper. A couple weeks ago when I lost my voice, I was talking to somebody, and they had to strain. They said, excuse me, what did you say? They had to really be intentional to hear my voice. And I think that's sometimes what we need to be in our lives. Our lives are way too loud a lot of times. You got the KitchenAid going while Frozen's on the TV in the background with the kids playing and, you know, music's going on in your kitchen. Life just gets too loud sometimes. Do we carve out those little times to hear from God? Because life gets loud. There was this, um, uh, I'll say this, and I'm going to close up here in a second. Uh, there was this uh, nature videographer that I, I heard talk one time. Um, and, and he said that back in the 70s, it took him 24 hours to get one hour of video with audio that had no um, unnatural noises. Planes, trains, automobiles, coughing, um, people walking. It took him one hour in, out in the woods of wherever he was filming. It took him uh, 24 hours to get one hour. Now, today, it takes him 72 hours to get one hour of film that does not have human noise attached to it. We make a lot of noise. And we're making more and more and more and more noise. Maybe you just need to find a time and place in life say, God, what do you think? Maybe that time is the next moment here at church. So I want to just take this moment. I just want to pray with us. And maybe there's some of you here today who are like, man, I need this. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I've done the repent, baptize thing. I need to live in the power of God. I need the Holy Spirit to live in my life. I just want to invite you to do that right now. Maybe there's some of you who simply need to say, God, help me carve out that space to be quiet. And, and maybe... God is leading you to a day in the week when you could actually be quiet that day, that time, that hour, something. But maybe it's a time where you could be intentional about that. So let's pray right now. Father, there's some of us here today who need to repent. We got junk. We're like the person that, that just has a house that's full of junk. And Lord, you want to clean that house out. And you want to give us a fresh start all over again. Simply, Lord, I want to I just challenge any of those people here today simply to say, Lord, would you clean up my house? Would you get rid of my junk? Would you help me to live a new life with you? And, Father, would you help me to receive your Holy Spirit? God, I want your presence with me in life. Lord, there's some here today who've done the whole repent, baptize thing, but we've never actually felt like we've received 
your spirit. We've never actually felt like you've been with us. So, Lord, for those of us who are here today, I just want to pray a blessing over us. Lord, would you be present? Father, would we sense your presence in our lives? Father, would we know when you are speaking? Would you help us to be quiet? Would you help us to be intentional to hear your voice? And, Father, would we respond in obedience to what it is you're calling us to do? Father, would we hear from you? Would your Holy Spirit dwell powerfully on the people of Neighborhood Christian Fellowship? Father, would your Holy Spirit dwell powerfully in our hearts? Because, Lord, our mission is nothing less than changing the world. And we cannot do that by our own power. We need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.